Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. And it came to pass the week before the second Sabbath of camp meeting, 2017. Two women in Loma Linda, California, went to a cafe. They came from Pilates at the gym, wanted some time to sit down and catch up. They fell into conversation about friends. One said to the other, did you hear about Susan's daughter, Giselle, she got engaged this past week. Did she really? Yep. Same guy? Yep. The guy that Susan and John can't stand? Yep. Oh, my goodness. So what are they saying? I don't know. I haven't asked Susan. Why don't you ask her? Because it seems like every time anybody asks her, she gets really upset. And I just don't know what to say, and so I just avoided the topic. Well, I'd ask her. I know you would. <laughs> I recommend you don't. Well, I'd ask her because I know what I'm going to tell my kids. When my kids grow up, they get to that age, when they're thinking about marriage, I know what I'm going to tell them that they need to look for. Really? What do they need to look for? Well, they need to look for a number of things. They need to look and make sure that the person has a servant's heart, that they're humble, they're willing to say, I'm sorry and I forgive you. They need to check out and see how they do with money. They need to talk about family of origin issues. They need, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You will have lost them by the second one. Yeah, you're probably right. So what will you say when your kids are thinking marriage? It's right there in the conversation that I want to ask you that question. I mean, I ask it to you if you're a parent. We parents all want the very best for our kids, want to raise them with the wisdom and the insight to know how life works. So if you're a parent, what do you say? Yeah, I know what that's like. It's been some years ago now, but a few years back, our daughter Miranda was a high school student. And it came that time of the year when the banquet rolls around. One day she said to me, uh, Daddy, I've been asked to the banquet. I said, oh, really? Yes. Who is it? She told me. Good guy? Yeah, he's a good guy. Well, good. And he's going to pick me up and take me in his car. I said, is that so? <laughs> Where is this banquet? It was a long way away. And so I thought about it, and I said, well, Miranda, I, I want to talk to this young man before he takes you in his car. And she said, Daddy, thank you so much. I appreciate so much you thinking about me, wanting to protect me from lewd and lascivious young men. I just really deeply appreciate that. <laughs> or something along those lines. <laughs> I, I don't think those were the precise words, but my memory's a little foggy. And so after a little bit of conversation, she, she gave me his number. So I called him, and, and we chatted, had a very nice chat. I'm sure he enjoyed it very much. 
<clears throat> and at the end of the conversation, I felt good and said, okay, that's fine. And so now I was going to let Miranda know. I, I don't know what happened. You know, the Bible says the human heart is desperately wicked and corrupt. Who can explain it? Because somehow when I, when I texted Miranda, I just added a little bit to it. I said, Miranda, I had a conversation with so-and-so. We had a good conversation. Everything's good. It's fine for you to go in the car. He was so nice, he even offered to let me go and sit in the back seat. <clears throat> now, you know how sometimes when you text your kids, it takes them a long time to answer? Not that time. <laughs> I got an answer immediately. And it was in all caps, which made me feel very important. <laughs> And it said, no, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. How could you do that? You can't go. This will be social suicide. <laughs> and then I couldn't take it anymore. And I texted her and said, no, everything's good. You're fine. So they went, had a good time, and I didn't go on the back seat. Now, the reason I tell you that story is just to say there are in our hearts, as parents, desires for our kids hoping that they'll be well, that they'll grow up, that they'll have wisdom to understand life. So as we listen into the conversation, these two women processing life, what will you tell them? Or what if it's even a, a broader question, not just what will we tell our kids, but anyone who is looking at the possibility of a long-term, even a permanent relationship? What kind of wisdom is available? In fact, could it be that a song, a wedding song, written thousands of years ago, might actually have some wisdom for us in Southern California in the 21st century? I'm going to Song of Songs, chapter 1, one page 1009 in your pew Bible, if you would like to follow along, Song of Songs. We're in a series called Simply the Song. From the hottest book in the Bible, looking at what the ancient songwriter and the singers had to say. So we're going to read a, a passage. It's a brief passage, about three verses long. But before we read it, I want to ask you to notice something. I want to ask you to notice how it moves. It starts in the third person, him, goes to the second person, you, and ends up in the first person, me and us. Take note of that as we read Song of Songs, starting with verse 2. This is she who sings. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. And then the friends, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. And then back to her, she says, how right they are to adore you. It's a movement toward greater and greater intimacy. It begins at somewhat of a distance. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Third person. And then it moves into a bit more intimacy, for your love is better than wine. And then it moves into the first person, into the most clear intimacy. Please, take me. Let us run away quickly together. 
on this wedding day, as the bride sings, as the chorus of female voices behind her respond, there is a movement toward deeper and greater intimacy, the perfect journey for every couple who stands at any altar. But our question is, is there something contained within this that can give us an insight, give us wisdom into that kind of love? Old Testament scholar Douglas Sean O'Donnell was very helpful to me in this, underlining two realities in the passage that help answer our question. There are two reasons why this woman feels so drawn to this man. The first reason is chemistry. Chemistry. There is strong, passionate chemistry between the two. Notice again, I'll reread verse 2 and part of verse 4. Verse 2, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. There's passion there. It sizzles. Let him kiss me with the kisses of of his mouth. There's enough to handle with care. Not a bad idea when it comes to such things. I can remember many years ago. I was in my teen years. I was at that very awkward age. Awkward age where you're really noticing that special person and you, you'd like to get close to them and you're scared to death to and I still remember I had a crush on her, and there came a point in our developing friendship when I wanted to reach out and hold her hand, scared to death, petrified, trying to act like a man of the world, but I thought, man, my sweaty palms are going to give that away. <laughs> and finally worked up the courage to that moment, reached for her hand, I did, and it was at that moment she chose to share something with me. She said, my mother said, holding hands leads to babies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, for a teenage boy, that's a mood killer right there. Caution, be careful, enter at your own risk. There's none of that in this song. She is unashamed and unabashed in her request. Remember to set this song against the backdrop of a culture that was male-dominated. And here we have a woman being the dominant voice and singing out with clarity that which she desires. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Quite amazing. We dive right into the song with those words. The words of one Old Testament scholar describe it this way. It's the tone of their love. That is of primary importance. We will get bits and pieces of their story as the song unfolds, but here we start with a full-blown flame, a tone that we're to touch. The earth is shaking. The house is on fire. She wants to be kissed. Let him kiss me. And she gets more than just his lips. The king has brought me into his chambers. And then this short opening scene ends with the choir of virgins rising and singing, We will exult and rejoice in your love. There you have it. Welcome to the Song of Songs. It's the hottest book in the Bible. Quite an introduction. Now before you join those, there have been quite a number of these throughout history. 
before you join those who say, what is that doing in Scripture? How did that make it into the Bible? Was that a bad day for the committee? What happened? How did it get in? Before you go there, I want you to consider this. In both Old Testament and New, God, as it were, through his writers, seeks for a metaphor by which to describe his relationship with his people. In the Old Testament, God with Israel. In the New Testament, Christ with the church. Seeks a metaphor by which to describe that. It's almost as though God thinks it through and says, I've got the metaphor. I'll go back to that garden, to Eden, to the man and the woman naked and unashamed where they knew each other, became one, and felt no shame. That's the metaphor I'll use. And thus it is time and again through Scripture. That's the metaphor that is used. Even the language is used. For example, the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that in English gets translated know or knew. Such as Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore him a son. That word knew is the same word that gets used in other places describing God's intimate connection and communion with his people. Such as in the call of Jeremiah where God speaking to Jeremiah says, Jeremiah, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Same word. So before you throw out Song of Solomon, before you throw out her lusty song, pause to consider that God draws from that imagery to form a metaphor to describe the intimacy he desires with us. Full, complete, unashamed. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. I don't know if you had noticed, but the Bible is a book that has a lot of kissing in it. Now, admittedly, it's different kinds of kissing. That's very true. For example, you have the kiss of betrayal planted on the cheek of Jesus by Judas. That's not Song of Songs kind of kiss. You have the kiss of the psalmist who says righteousness and peace have met together and have kissed each other. Not the Song of Songs kind of kiss. Or you have the kiss from maybe the same writer, the writer of Proverbs, who says that an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. It's not this kind of kiss. Or you have the kiss of Mary as she knelt at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears, wiping them with her hair, kissing his feet. Not the song of songs kind of kiss. Or you have Paul saying, when you come to church, greet one another with a holy kiss. Definitely not the song of songs kind of kiss. Don't get any ideas. Here we have a kiss that is filled with passion, filled with desire, filled with yearning. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. It's quite stunning that it comes from the woman. One scholar points out that 
Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, in which we've probably spent a fair bit of time, is a book for boys, says the scholar. It's a book for boys. Because as you read through Proverbs, one of the statements you see taking place over and over and over again is, my son, my son, my son, my son. Read Proverbs sometime. Over 40 times, my son. No, my daughters. It's all my son. And furthermore, it's followed by counsel like, my son, take care of that kind of woman. My son, don't go with that kind of woman. My son, don't marry this kind of woman. It's a book for boys. However, he says, Song of Songs is a book for girls. He says, no, my sons here. Rather, it is the daughters. It is the bride that gives voice to what happens in the song. Quite amazing against the backdrop of its time. So what we see here is a strong chemistry between these two people, a strong connection, a sexual desire present there at the wedding. Now you may say, well, Randy, that's the wedding. What would you expect? Certainly that's going to be the case. I had a preacher who told me I was at a wedding one day. He says I was conducting the wedding, and the bride was doing a running commentary of what was going to happen later. He said I couldn't keep my mind on what I was trying to tell them to do. But you expect that, I suppose, at a wedding. But what about the rest of us for whom the wedding altar is some years past, some decades past, I like the words of Old Testament scholar Douglas Sean O'Donnell, <clears throat> who, writing about this passage, writes this. I came across a wonderful poem by Steve Scafidi called Prayer for a Marriage, in which the poet talks to him, talks about him and his wife kissing on their wedding day, and he prays that the desire they shared then will not fade. From the wild first surprising kisses to the lower dizzy 10,000 infinitely slower ones, he ends, and I hope while we stand there in the kitchen later in life, making tea and kissing, the whistle of the teapot wakes the neighbors. And then O'Donnell says, pray for your marriage, pray for desire, pray for prolonged kissing in the kitchen. chemistry. That's the first thing we see here. So if we happen to listen into the conversation between the two women friends, <clears throat> what are you going to tell your kids? Maybe you tell them chemistry. Make sure there's chemistry. Because if there isn't and you marry the person, it's going to be a long, hot summer. So make sure there's chemistry. But don't get the wrong idea. Even in the Song of Songs, it's not all about chemistry. It's not all about desire. Because there's a second element that comes into play as the bride sings to her beloved. If the first was chemistry, the second is character. Character. Back to Song of Songs, chapter 1 and verse 3 this time. Notice what she sings. Pleasing is the fragrance 
of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Your name is like perfume poured out. You don't need to have spent a lot of time with Scripture to have recognized that in Scripture a person's name is equivalent with their character. It's not only true of one human being after another after another in Scripture, it is even true of God. God's name is representative of God's character, of who God is. We come now in this song that she sings on her wedding day, and she says to him, one of the things that draws me to you, one of the things that I find so alluring within you is that your name, your character, is like perfume poured out. The aroma of which wafts through the air and brings joy and pleasure to everyone who can sense the smell. It's almost as though she's saying, doesn't seem to matter where I go, to whom I listen. Anyone who mentions your name, anytime your name comes up, people say, ah, oh, now there's a good guy. Man, he's a man of his word. He, what, what you see is what you get. In fact, it's so much true that you notice how that verse ended. No wonder the young women love you. In other words, your character is, is, a, is of such a sterling quality that people desire to be with you. They trust you. They connect with you. You know what she's saying? She's saying, on this wedding day, when I desire physical union with you, sexual communion with you, one of the things that has given me that passion is your character, who you are. You are a good man. That's what the bride sings to her beloved. You want an aphrodisiac? Try character. Try being a person of sterling worth. See what happens in your most intimate relationships. I mean, I wonder what would happen if those were among the important questions we asked, with the important questions we asked our kids to ask. Is he a person of his word? Can you count on what she says? Are they what they appear to be? Do they have a sacrificial heart? Are they willing to go the second mile for you? Do they have what my father used to call, he said, do they have stick to -itiveness? Are they willing to go the distance? Is this a person of sterling character? In the Song of Songs, in the midst of all the wine and roses and music and dancing and, 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 and all the romance that fills the air, suddenly we see something of substance. Two things that they share. Two reasons for which she is drawn to him. Chemistry? I'm attracted to you. Character? I respect you.
I don't know, folks. It seems like that's a pretty good place to start. Your relationship, what you share with your child, what you hope they grow up to learn and to value, what you pray that they grow up to be. Chemistry and character. In fact, Eugene Peterson, in his introduction in the Message Bible to the Song of Songs, says that one of the reasons the Song of Songs is such an important, such a valuable reality is because it marries things that don't often get married. For example, on the one hand, he says, we have our culture where, where sex gets divorced from love and people often don't talk about love in relationship to sex for fear of being thought of as prudish. But on the other hand, he says, then we come to church. And in church, we, we divorce the same two realities because we're afraid to talk, when we're talking about love, we're afraid to talk about sex for fear of being thought of as unholy. But, says Peterson, here in the Song of Songs, they are brought together as an integrated whole. So important, so clear is this issue of character that commentary after commentary comments on it. I decided I wanted to read two of them, just two fairly brief quotes, to give you an example of what the scholars are writing about. The first one is from George M. Schwab, Old Testament scholar, who writes this, The girl delights in the boy's fragrant oils and compares their aroma to his name. His reputation and character have made him desirable in the eyes of all who know him, so the maidens who know nothing of his kisses also love him from afar. This fact heightens her enjoyment of his love. Even in love, character counts. And so does Cologne. <laughs> Or a second commentary, this one, O'Donnell, he writes, She esteems his name. He is a king to her. She respects him, and so do her friends. His reputation, his good reputation, is spread like perfume. Both verses 3 and 4 say that the virgins love him. In other words, they highly approve. They aren't saying to themselves, What does she see in him? No, they see the same character traits she sees. Both character and chemistry matter in the matters of love. Know that. Apply that. To marry someone who lacks character, but she's so stunningly beautiful, or he's so filthy rich, is just stupid. Don't be stupid. <laughs> really good advice. And so if we walk up to the table and we hear these two friends sharing and asking the question, so what are you going to tell your kids? They're not going to hang around for some long list. What are you going to say? Well, I think chemistry and character is a pretty good place to begin. You want him. You want her. And you respect him. You respect her. Every preacher has his or her favorite stories. I'm going to tell you a favorite story of mine when it comes to these realities. I haven't encountered any story that captures quite as poignantly these realities of character and chemistry, not just at the wedding altar, but throughout the lifespan. I've shared it with some of you, shared it with our young adults a few years ago and 10 years ago. October of 2007, I shared it with you. So if you happen to have been here that day, be patient. 
And if you weren't, consider what it says. The story begins with a woman who sat down with a piece of paper, and at the top of the piece of paper, she pinned the words, Dear Ann Landers. Now, those of you who have been around the block a couple of times, remember Ann Landers, the advice columnist from yesteryear. Well, this woman was writing to Ann Landers to share an experience she had just had. She said, we just celebrated our parents' 50th wedding anniversary. It was a wonderful occasion. We had a great time there. She said, but I've got to tell you what happened. When my parents first got married, they had no money. In fact, all they could scrape together was enough money after their wedding to drive down the road a few miles and stay at the equivalent of Motel 6 for, I think, three nights. So they made a promise to each other at that point in time. When we have our 50th wedding anniversary, we're going to have a honeymoon. And we're going to have a great one. And the way that we're going to pay for that honeymoon is that for these 50 years, every time we make love, we're going to put a dollar in a jar. <laughs> and we're going to use that money to go on our honeymoon. Now the woman said, my parents didn't tell us about this until each of us got married. Five kids, my dad a police officer, my mother a school teacher. They didn't have a lot of money. But each time one of us got married, they would tell us their secret and give us a jar. She said, when they told us, we suddenly remembered. We remembered times when dad would come home. We're all there, the kids, mom. And he would look at mom and he would say, I got a dollar in my pocket. <laughs> and she would say, I know just how to spend it. <laughs> they kept their secret, said the letter writer. They didn't tell us how much they saved. We don't know how much they saved. But what we do know is this. Yesterday... We put them on a plane for a 10-day vacation in Hawaii. All expenses paid, first class, round trip, plenty of spending money. And when they headed off to the plane, my dad turned around and looked at us and said, tonight we're starting a fund for Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story. How can it get any better than chemistry and character? So whatever it is you believe, whatever it is you tell your kids, there's all kinds of wisdom, all kinds of answers, all kinds of advice. The one thing I hope you say is sit down, put on your earbuds, and listen to a young bride sing about chemistry and character.